It's good to be here with you today. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1, if you will. I was thinking at the hotel last night. Last time I was here, it was a while ago, and um, I don't think I had to use these, but now I do. I asked my wife, do you think I need to go to an optometrist? I'm on the first level here of reading glasses. She said, no, you're just getting old, amen? So it happens. All right, if you'd stand with me for the reading of the Word of God, I'd appreciate that. And if you can't stand, that's okay. I don't think we want to, we're not trying to make a new tradition. We've had a lot of those, amen, (laughs) as Baptists. I said to someone recently, I said, I came out of Roman Catholicism, and I hear Baptists all the time talking about how they're full of tradition. I see a lot of that in independent Baptist churches, amen, and it's sad. But let's read this morning. We're going to read, if you will. I'm going to start in verse number six. Um, We're going to actually preach out of the first uh, five verses, but I want to start in verse number six, and then we'll pray and let you be seated. And I want to talk to you this morning about, let's get our gaze back on what Jesus wants, amen. He says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou, verse six, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, let me just give this precursor. I don't, I don't think it's wrong. In fact, I think it's expedient that we understand Bible prophecy. Amen? But I don't think it should consume us to where we do what we're about to see. And here's what he says. Jesus says, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then I want to preach this message to you. Let's get our gaze back on what Jesus wants. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would empower me. Lord, I know there is no ability in myself, Lord, to bring glory to you. But Father, I pray today that the Spirit of God, Lord, through the Word of God, would speak, that he would have free course There are many times in the pulpit that if we're not careful, it's easy to say things in the flesh. It's easy to do things in the flesh. But Lord, we're not here to worship you in the flesh. We're here to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that the Holy Ghost would speak to hearts. For those that are saved and born again, challenge, correct us, Lord, encourage us, whatever it is that you know that we need. And Lord, if there be one here today that has never known Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray today that the Holy Spirit of God would open their eyes, Lord, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine into their hearts, and that they might see their need of Christ and be born again. I pray, Lord, that you would bless, Lord, in all that we do for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. We have an account here of something going on. It's 
And a lot of people, and they don't really, maybe if, if, unless they've read the Bible, studied, and we should do that. But a lot of people don't realize that Jesus was on the earth 40 days after he rose again. And during that time, he came in and out amongst his disciples, and he was teaching. And really, what we have in chapter 1 here is we don't really have a, a new doctrine. This is not everything we're going to talk about. Jesus has already taught his church. He's already told them and get instructed them the Spirit of God that is about to come, the promise of the Father. They know these things. But I believe what we have here is Jesus in this last hour, if you will, this last time with them, I believe he does what, to be honest with you, a lot of us would do. If I'm going on a trip, my wife's not with me today, and I'm leaving for a while, I, I kind of focus her before I leave on the important things. Amen? I, I get her to focus on, and you're going to maybe laugh, but... I think this way, where the life insurance policy is, God forbid, if I die and I go to be at the Lord, where's the life insurance? Who should you call? I would rather call somebody like Brother Jim, who is good with money, than call a guy that's into debt up to his ears, and he's about to lose everything. And so I go over the, I focus her not on things, I don't give her new teaching, I don't tell her new things that she's never heard, but I focus her on the things that are important. And I believe that's what Jesus does here in chapter 1. He's focusing them on three specific areas that we're going to talk about today. And as soon as he rises, and by the way, we didn't read it, but he said to them, after I ascend, go back to Jerusalem and wait. Amen? Go back to Jerusalem and wait. Now, I'll get into that later before we're done. But it's interesting because the Great Commission is a going commission. You can't do it by waiting around. You have to go. But Jesus says before the action starts, you have to go back and wait. And so what he's telling them is, as soon as you see me go ahead and ascend, go right back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. But that's not what they do. They get caught gazing. And then I believe these are two angels. And they come down and they say, hey, why are you standing gazing up here into the heavens? Jesus left. He's coming back as he said. And you know what I believe they're saying? Get busy about what he told you to do. Amen. We're in a time right now when, if we're honest, it's scary. It's a scary time. The human side of us, the old man, that, that flesh that we live in, this is a scary time. Things are not going the way we would probably like. We don't necessarily have the person in the White House we would like, amen. And it's a scary time. It seems like all sovereign nations are being eroded from the inside out, amen. It's a scary time. And right away, as Christians, we look to the second coming, or in particular, the rapture of the Lord coming to get us. And if we're not careful, I think what we do is we go into this wait mode. Jesus never commanded us to wait on the coming of the Lord. He commanded us to watch for the set for his coming. And watching is the idea of standing on guard, being ready. There is no way that we're going to be ready for the return of the Lord by waiting and not doing. We need to be active. And to be active, we need to have our focus on the right things. And so I want to talk to you about three things that I believe we need to get our focus back on. And if it's already there, we need to keep our focus on in these last days. Number one, think about this. In verse number one and two, he noticed here, he says, the former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given, what's that word there? Commandments, amen? Commandments unto the apostles 
whom he had chosen. Notice with me, first of all, I believe we need to get our focus back on the authority of Jesus Christ. The word commandments here, it just simply means the idea to order, command something to be done. But there's a word in the definition, enjoin, which means to instruct or urge. So the idea here, when God gives these commandments, when Christ in particular gives these commandments to the church before he ascends, he's urging them, he's giving them a commandment and order for things to be done. And the commandment and the order is not just the Great Commission, amen? There's more to it than that. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. The problem is, many times we forget the authority of Christ. We'll stay here for a moment, but let me just read to you. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 says this, on the authority of Christ. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished. Now, let me say this. As he enters into the synagogue and he teaches, we have no record here that everybody in the synagogue got saved. We have no record that the religious crowd changed their opinion of Christ, that they were going to repent and listen to him as Nicodemus who got saved. Amen. But notice what they say about him. And they were astonished at his doctrine, his teaching, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as a scribe. Understand with me, Jesus Christ is and always will be King of kings and Lord of lords. He is our authority, amen? Notice with me a couple thoughts on this idea of authority. Where is his realm of authority? Well, Ephesians 1, says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, amen? Jesus Christ is the authority of his church. Now, let me say to you today, this is not Jim Alter's church. It's not. And I know you would say, I knew he would say amen to that because I know what your preacher believes on biblical doctrine. Amen. The churches that I have started, five churches, five churches, people say, well, how's your churches doing? I don't have any churches. I was an instrument used as the apostle Paul to establish five churches to this point in my life and going on to six. The authority of those churches, if they are the Lord's church, the authority of those churches is Jesus Christ. That's how you can have Roy Thompson start a church in in Cleveland, Ohio, like this area, a very strong Catholic area, and see a church grow to almost 2,000 people. And yet when he goes on and passes the baton, the church flawlessly continues. And now we're on Pastor Folger Jr., our third pastor. You know how that happens? When people realize that the authority of the church is Jesus Christ. Can I say this? We live in a day in the Western world when we are being challenged. We have never suffered for our faith in Jesus Christ. We have never been challenged on the authority of Christ. But this government and the governments of this world are going to continue to challenge his authority and we must obey Christ. We have no, we don't have an option there. We can't say, well, we'll obey if, if Jesus says it, as long as it's convenient. We must obey his authority. He is the authority of his church. Hey, let me say he is the authority of the child of God. Let me show you a unique verse. I, Ephesians chapter 4. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And if I'm, if brother, if preacher, I'm going to, brother, I'm going to call you brother Jim. I don't think they are going to, that's going to lessen their respect of you as their pastor. Amen. You know how some preachers are though. You, in the pulpit, son, call me pastor. Amen. 
Anyway, <clears throat> I'm going to call you what? Call you what? Doctor. doctor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> doctor. I probably would have a little more faith in him as my doctor than some others. <laughs> I'm not going to give him credit for the theological side. Amen. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. Notice with me verse number 23. If I'm, if preacher doesn't agree with what I'm about to say, he can correct me and he will when I'm gone. I know him well enough, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. You remember when the Bible says in first John, he, that, that whosoever is born of God doth not sin. That's what it says. I've heard preachers try to say, well, that's talking about habitual sin. If you're saved, you won't sin, do the same sin all the time. That's interesting. Read the book of 1 Corinthians. That's That church, nobody's, I guess, was saved in that church, amen, because they seem to be doing habitual sins all the time. You know what I believe John's talking about? He's speaking about the new man, the new nature, amen. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of God, of the Spirit, is of God. Friend, listen, we have a nature in us. If you're born again today, you have a nature in you that is born of God. And this is what God says about that nature. He says in verse 23, and be renewed, chapter 4, verse 23, in the spirit of your mind, and that she put on the new man, which after God is created. You know that God didn't take you and I the day I got saved in Cleveland, Ohio, in Detroit Avenue Baptist Church at 13. God didn't take the old Jim Males and scrub them up and clean them and try to renovate him. What God did in that day that I got saved is God created in me a new creature born in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. Now, if he is the creator of the new Jim Males, if he is the creator of the new man, then my authority as a new man and who I should follow is Jesus Christ. Amen. He is authority. He is the authority of the believer. Can I say to you, there's a lot of talk in all kinds of realms, new evangelical, independent Baptist, about liberty. Our liberty is not a a cloak for unrighteousness. We don't do what we want to do. You know what happened the day that I got saved? I went from bondage into servitude. Do you know what the word servant means in the New Testament when you study it? It literally means a bond servant. Now, we don't believe in slavery like we've known of, where people are, are, can buy and sell. That's called men-stealer. The Bible is against slavery as we know it. But you know what? Biblical bond servant, uh, servitude was this. You owed a debt, and you had to go serve to pay it. Now, we can't serve God to pay the debt we owe for our sins. That's called grace. That's called salvation. But once we're saved, we are free from the bondage of the flesh and the devil, from the bondage of that old man, from the bondage of sin, and we are free to serve Christ. Our liberty is not to be used against the word of God, but to enable us to do the word of God. Amen? And so understand with me, he is the authority of the child of God. But you know what? This, I hope, will help you. But go with me to Colossians chapter 1 and notice he is authority, the authority of his creation. Now I'm not a fatalist. Preacher and I were talking about that this morning. I don't believe if a man commits adultery. God made him do it. Because he's sovereign. That's absurd. Man has a free will. And man is very good at disobeying the Lord. Amen. But notice with me. God in his creation. Notice what the Bible says. In Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15. He says this. Who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Do you believe that? All things, heaven and earth, visible and visible. By the way, just for a note, we do have demonic spirits still. I know that psychology has explained them away, they think. But we do have demonic spirits and we still have powers of darkness in, in high places. He says, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And notice what he says. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. That's not talking about the fact that Jesus was before these things as far as a chronological time set. He in place of order of authority, Jesus Christ is before all things in his creation. Do you remember what Daniel said? Daniel said in the book of Daniel chapter 2, I'll read it to you, or you can turn there if you want quickly. Daniel chapter 2, notice what he says to the king. Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 21. Daniel chapter 2 verse 20, I'm sorry. Daniel chapter 2 verse 20. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. You believe that? I'm asking for a reason. I'm not being uh, uh, sarcastic. He says, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. And by the way, the, the two words there, setteth up, means to appoint, establish. He says, and giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that no understand. He said, what does this have to do with, with the authority of Christ over his creation? How does that benefit me? Let me give you some good news today. God is not sitting in heaven surprised that Joe Biden's in office. Not at all. You can't take the God of the Bible when you like him and throw the other part of the Bible, the God that you don't like in the Bible, and throw it aside. Do you understand God said in every case and every king that's ever been on this planet, God puts him in power and he brings him down for his glory. Do you understand today that God is not sitting in heaven and, 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 and confused and, and, and muddled and trying to figure out what am I going to do? The churches, my churches are suffering. My people are suffering. Listen, in the Western world, we know nothing about suffering up to what's coming. But I'm going to tell you, in this world, and you've been to places, brother, there are people that suffer for their faith Every day. I remember in Russia preaching the word of God in a small church out in the middle of nowhere. It took us hours to get there. And I found out after I was done preaching, they were allowed to ask questions of the American. And I thought they'd ask me about McDonald's and, and freedom and all these things. And you know what the lady asked? The first lady asked a question, 78 years old, raised her hand. And she said, why do you preach so short? And I started laughing because I'm used to Americans. I am one, amen, and, and sarcasm. And, the, pre, and the, uh, the interpreter said, don't laugh, preacher. She's serious. He said she walks two hours to church, and when they meet every Sunday, if they're caught, all of them, and especially the preacher, will go straight to jail. And in that little house, he said they meet for eight hours. Listen, Time is not spirituality, don't get me wrong. But the problem is, is we need to understand and get our focus back that Christ is the authority of his creation. You don't have to fret when you hear the news of the things going on. You can rest secure that our God is in control and he is authority. Second of all, notice with me something else concerning our focus. Go back to Acts chapter 1 and look in verse number 3. 
So I believe he, their focus and his, his putting their focus was on, first of all, his authority. Second of all, what about his authenticity? Preacher, is there a clock up here somewhere? I don't have a watch on me. Okay, all right, I'm just saying, all right. Um, no, he didn't say I had to get done or he would, you know, drop my support and shoot me afterwards. Amen. He better not do that because I have, I have something in my truck I carry for those occasions. Amen. All right, look at verse number three. Yes, that's true, brother. But I've got cousins here, amen? So, all right, look at verse number three. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, his resurrection, amen? He says, by many infallible proofs. Now, I'm not going to try to prove the authenticity of Christ to you because time will not afford that. And honestly, I know your preacher, and I'm not saying this to just flatter him. If this is a Bible-preaching church, you surely have seen the evidence that Christ is who he says he was. Amen? If Christ, just on the 500 witnesses and the others on top of that, in any legal system in this world, that would be evidence enough that he rose from the grave. But notice what he says here. He said, after his passion, verse 3, by many fallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now take your, your Bible and just turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to camp out there for a few moments, move on and finish. But notice with me, second of all, first we need to get our focus. In these days especially, our focus needs to be on the authority of Christ. And by the way, let me say this. The authority of Christ will never contradict this book because the living word and the written word, they're the same. In other words, there's nothing in this book that is going to contradict. You can't say, well, preacher, I think Jesus told me to do this, and yet the Bible says you're not to do that. And I'm not talking about just standards and rules. You can't say, preacher, the Spirit of God led me to do something. He told me to quit this church and go join a church that's not preaching the Bible. Amen. That's not going to fly with God. But notice with me the authenticity of Christ. We need to focus on his authority and then his authenticity. You know what the word authentic means? It simply means that which is worthy of acceptance or belief as conforming to or based on fact. You say, what does this have to do with me, preacher? Why is it that we as the children of God are the ones that whisper? Why is it that we are the ones? I, I, I ministered to many Muslims in Europe. And you know what a Muslim, they are not afraid to tell you why, what they believe. And you say, well, I can confront that with the Bible. I believe what they believe is absolutely heretical and straight from the pits of hell. But here's my point. They believe that what they have is authentic. That's why they're willing to fly a plane into something. That's why they're willing to blow themselves up. Here's what I'm saying to you. We have the authentic Christ. We have the authentic God. We don't meet here today just for social programs or trying to get to know other people. We meet and we worship God. Why? Because we know based on this book, based on truth, that we serve the authentic God. When you embrace that, when you embrace that authenticity, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. Let me prove that to you. We're going to go to Acts chapter 4 and look at a couple of scriptures. But before we do, let me remind you of something. Peter and John are the men in this chapter. They're preaching the word of God. And they're persecuted for that. But remember that Peter is the same guy 
that on the Mount of Transfiguration said, Lord, it's good for you. It's good that we're here. Let me build three tabernacles, one for you. And by the way, when you study the word tabernacle there, it's the idea of like the tabernacle, a place where they met with God. It was the house, if you will, of God. And he says, let's build one for you and let's build one for Moses and let's build one for Elijah. As soon as Peter opens his mouth and says that, a cloud descends. They, he can't see anything. John can't see anything. And as soon as the cloud ascends, Moses and Elijah are gone. And what is the voice the father say from heaven? This is my beloved son. Hear him. He's authentic. Peter was worshiping that which should not be worshiped. What about Apostle John? I would say in the, in, the, in the 12 apostles preacher, this guy probably is the most spotless guy of them all. Would you agree? I think he, the one that Jesus loved, the one that laid his head on the bosom of Christ, the one that when Judas was announced, when it was announced that one would betray, all the apostles looked at him, all the disciples, they said, hey, you, you ask him, is it, who is it? Who is it? And yet John in chapter 19 of Revelation As he's receiving the revelation, the Bible says he begins to fall down to worship the messenger and the angel, the messenger. And that word means messenger. As he falls down to worship the messenger, you know what the messenger said? Get up off your knees. Get up, stand up. Don't worship me. I have the testimony of Christ like you. You worship God. Now that's these two men. Peter denied him three times. Before the cock crew. Now can I say this to you? What lesson do we have in this? Why does God tell us of the adultery of Bathsheba? So we can go do it and have an excuse? It's to show us that we are men of like passions. I am not better than you. You are not better than me. We serve the same God. We are on the same ground. We have the same potential if we are born again. But you know how we... We, we succeed and succeed in the work of God, I believe. We need to start by embracing his authority, but we need to embrace his authenticity. You do not have to be ashamed for this book. You don't have to be. Now, let me show you what happens when we embrace the authenticity of Christ. We're going to stay in Acts chapter 4, give you a couple of scriptures and we'll finish. He says in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, you know what he's saying? By the authentic one of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught. Now, let me say to you, because I'm assuming most of you are Gentiles. Gentiles may not understand this if Peter was preaching to them. But the Jews know exactly what scripture he's talking about. This is he 
not of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation. Do you believe that? In any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How on earth do you go from denying Christ not that long before just a matter of a, a couple of months maybe? You deny Christ and now you're saying there is salvation in another. Notice with me, when we embrace the authenticity of Christ and we truly embrace it, it produces in us a confidence to do the work of God. A confidence. Not only that, but stay in this chapter. Look at verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 29 through 31. Notice it produces a boldness in us. He says this in verse number 29. Now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word, thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy by the name of thy holy child Jesus and when they had prayed the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the holy ghost and they spake the word of god with what boldness i must go on and finish but i can't help but think and i'm talking to myself i'm not preaching to you i'm preaching to me as well and i must put myself in this category if this was america and they were in America, and this church was in America, and they went out and preached the word of God, and they were beaten, and they were thrown in jail and let loose. You know what would happen today in our churches? The preacher, whoever it was, would come back, he'd tell the church, and we'd call CLA and make sure we, we got our rights, amen? We got our rights. You know what this church did? You know what Peter and John did? The Bible says they actually thanked the Lord that they were counted worthy to suffer for him. You say, preacher, you saying you want to suffer? I don't want to suffer. Do you? I'd rather drive my nice truck and enjoy life. Amen. But you know what? When we're called on to suffer, we need to understand that what's going to get us through that is not mustering up some courage in ourselves. It is the authenticity of the Savior. It produces boldness. It produces confidence. That authenticity produces loyalty and it produces vision. Loyalty. What does he say in verse number 18? Through 20 here to these men, he says, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all. And they're teaching the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot. And I want you to look at this answer and then I'm going to give you one more thought and we'll make it a little quicker and finish. But notice this answer for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That smote my heart when I read that, studying this scripture. You know what our answer would be? In our church, independent, the circle, the independent Baptist. You know what our answer would be? We can't help but speak about Jesus because, man, we have to. It's our duty. That's what Christians do. That's not what Peter and John say. Peter and John say this. Hey, whether it's right to obey man over God, that's what they're saying. You can be the judge, judge for yourselves. But we've already made a decision on this. You see, it's not about duty. It's about we can't help but speak about the one who we have seen, who we have heard. Friend, when you walk with the Lord and you have a personal relationship with the God, you know what eternal life is? Eternal life, according to John 17, isn't going to heaven. We're going to go far greater than heaven. We're going to rule for a thousand years. We're going to go throughout God's creation. 
Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they may know thee, have a relationship with thee, the true God and his son, Jesus Christ. Man, think about what John and Peter are saying. We've handled 1 John chapter 1. He goes into that of the word of life who we've handled, we've touched, we've, we've been with him. We've heard his voice. We've seen the miracles. We've experienced him. You know, it has to come before the return of the Lord, before that rapture that we're looking for. There's going to be an apostasy. And I think we're going to see the true from the false. The ones that have the relationship, the ones that don't. We're going to see the ones that have experienced Christ and not just talked about him. And my friend, that day's coming soon. We need to embrace his authenticity. But in closing, let me take you back to one more thought. We need to rely upon his provision. We have too many Christians today, I believe truly saved people, that are trying to serve God without God. They try to walk, they try to mimic the spiritual. They do the things that we would call spiritual. Do you know what? Here's the sad thing. Anything, Paul said in Romans 14, anything whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Do you understand that the carnal mind is enmity against God in Romans chapter 8? Paul said, so we conclude then that we the flesh profiteth nothing. Amen? Amen? So profiteth nothing. Do you know that you can do good things in the flesh and at the judgment seat? Listen, the judgment seat of Christ isn't about when you didn't read your Bible or you missed church and you could have been there. The judgment seat of Christ is about the work we have done for the Lord and it's going to be tried whether it passes the test of his judgment or not. That means we're going to be tried on the good things that we did. How does good things burn up when it's done in the flesh? And not the spirit. Notice what he says here in Acts chapter 1. Verse number 4. And being assembled together with them. Commanded them. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. And being assembled together with them. Commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the father. Which saith he. Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water. But he shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence. And he says in verse number eight, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Let me just say this in bringing this to a close. The last 10 years of my life, I've been doing ministry. I've been saved since... 13 years old, I'm 55. So that, if my calculations are right, is like, what, 43 years? I don't know, 40-some years. I've been preaching since I was 15 years old. Not as a pastor, but my pastor would let me preach, and he would try to teach me and groom me. In the last 10, 15 years, God has taught me something that has changed my life. And I'll never go back. I'll never go back. People serve God without God. Christians try to serve God in their flesh, their ability. Do you know that's what we were saved from? 
We can't please God. We as Baptists teach, we teach the world. We as Christians say, you can't get saved by works because works cannot appease the wrath of God, only the blood of Christ. Well, friend, if you're not saved by works, then you can't muster up works to please God. You must walk in the Spirit. Do you know what the Bible says? There's a reason why, why, why that we have to have this provision of the Holy Ghost. And if you're saved, you have the Spirit. He indwells you. He indwells you. He is the earnest of our inheritance. Amen? He is the down payment, the proof of the purchase of the possession. And we are sealed by the Spirit of God. The word sealed means it's the idea of a a stamp of protection. Remember in Scotland, I told you about all the witchcraft. I remember, remember I told you about before, you may not remember, but I went into the home of a woman that was unsaved. She had visited because her teenage daughter, like this young lady that sang today, came to the church, got saved. She was active. I went into her home and her husband was there and I witnessed to him probably a couple hours. We talked about the Bible. She said, I'm going to be there Sunday. I'm, I want to hear more. And I was like, Amen. I was getting ready to leave, and she grabs my coat, and she says, Preacher, can I ask you a question? And I said, Sure. I said, and it was kind of weird, to be honest. It was, it was urgent. And her husband goes, No, 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 don't bother the minister. They call you reverend there, remember? Don't bother the reverend. And I said, If you don't mind, sir, let, I don't mind answering her question. She said, My, my, my uncle is a, is a nightmare. He, he lives here, and he... He, he throws things around and he bangs the furniture. He moves it all the time and he comes in and out all hours a day. He's just, he's just a nasty person. She goes, what do I do about that? You're a minister. What do I do? I said, well, where I'm from in Cleveland, Ohio, if you got a, someone that doesn't have to be in your house and they're unruly, you kick them out. Amen. She looked at me and she said, oh, Reverend, I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you my uncle's dead. I said, you tell me you have a spirit in this house? And long story short, we talked about if she had ever been involved in any kind of spiritism. Sure enough, she was being groomed to be a medium. And I told her, I said, your uncle that you think is your uncle is not your uncle. It's a demonic spirit. And he's coming because you have opened a door for him to come. I said, let me ask you an interesting question. Where was this spirit? What happened with this spirit when I came to your home? She said, funny you asked that. As soon as you came, he left. I said, has he been back while I'm here? She said, no, I haven't seen him since. I asked her the next Sunday, when did he come back? She got saved two weeks later, praise God. And God removed the spirit, amen. But notice with me, I said, when did he come back? She said, as soon as you left, he came back. Let me tell you something, friend. The sons of Sceviah were the demon that, that, that they went in and they tried to cast out a demon. And the demon said to them, what did he say? He said, hey, Paul, we know, and Jesus, we know, but who are you? And he tore them up, and they ran out of the house naked. Do you think a demonic spirit is afraid of Jim Males? I don't think so. But the Spirit of God, who indwells me, who is the earnest of my inheritance, and who has sealed me with his protection, he is the same Holy Ghost that Jesus said in John 16. And when he has come, he will guide you into all truth. And before he said that in verse 13, he said... And when he comes, when the spirit of truth, he said this, that he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment.
you know one of the most liberating things I found out years ago in my walk with the Lord? It's not based on what I do that people get saved. It's based on the gospel and the conviction of the Holy Ghost that indwells me and has promised that his word would not return unto him void. We need to embrace the provision of the Holy Ghost in this day. Because let me just say to you, I don't care how strong you, I'm a pretty strong-willed person. Is that true, brother? I'm a pretty strong-willed person. I've been through a lot. I'm not the kind of guy when adversity comes, I run and try to get help. I just get through it. But in the strength of my strengths, I will never make it in what's to come without the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Ghost. We need to get our focus back on his authority. We need to get our focus back on his authenticity. And we need to get our focus back on his provision. Because these last days is a privilege to live in. And we've got an opportunity to do something for God in these last days. Let's stand. Preacher, you come.